What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Outdoors Podcast. My name is AJ. Thanks so much for tuning in. If you enjoy this episode, feel free to hit that subscribe button. We really, really appreciate it. It is free. It doesn't take a lot of time, and it really helps out the channel. We would greatly, greatly appreciate it. Also, check out the website at www.outdoorspodcast.com. It's where we kind of host all of the episodes and the videos, trip reports, gear reviews, all the other different things that we're doing at Outdoors Podcast. It's definitely a great resource to check out. We're on YouTube and Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, kind of all the different places. The only thing that's different uh, on Twitter, we are Podcast Outdoors versus Outdoors Podcast. Somebody already had it, but all the other channels, we are Outdoors Podcast, so definitely come and check us out. On today's episode is a buddy of mine named Ed Kimmel. Ed and I have become better and better friends over the last, really, months uh, of the quarantine. And we've just been chatting quite a bit about our, you know, different interests in the outdoors. We actually met on a hammock forums trip several years ago and kind of fell out of contact. And then we reconnected through a fly tying class for fly fishing at a local fly shop. Shout out to T. Hargrove's Fly Shop. Big, big fan of the folks over there. Big uh, hello to Tom and Craig and to Max and new guy Jackson as well as Eric. Uh, haven't seen Eric in a little bit, but uh, definitely miss you, buddy. So uh, hopefully we'll see you again soon. And then also um, big shout out to the Ozark Trail Association. Uh, if you haven't heard about this organization, we talk a little bit about it at the end of the episode. So if you haven't looked them up, you're into the outdoors, you're into backpacking, you're hiking, camping, any of that kind of stuff. Definitely check out that organization. It's a really great, great group of people that's doing some fantastic work in the state of Missouri, and I think even outside of the state of Missouri, but Ed and I go a little bit into that. So without further ado, let's jump into this episode. We're slightly above everybody else on the intellectual <laughs> scale, I think. Altitude sickness is no joke. Once it gets below zero, it's cold. There are a lot less sportsmen now than there were, say, 20 years ago. You're actually, you were used as a pawn okay. in our game to figure out what it was that we were doing wrong. You know, at that point, we didn't have one great tent. Like, we had one good tent and one not good tent. <laughs> yeah. Wind was just whipping. Uh, there was, like, snow BBs <laughs> just, like, pelting in the face. <laughs> All right, we are live. All right. Ed, welcome, welcome, man. Well, thank you. Good to have you in studio. Good to have you here. Uh, so Ed, we met on a hammock forums, uh, group hang several years ago. Yeah, but, uh, Han State Park. Yep. Uh, and actually the very same trip that Derek Kaufman, guest number one, yep. uh, and I met on. So you and Derek know each other now. Do you guys know each other, know each other, or just like kind of loosely through a nah, couple just, trips? Just through the, through the forum and, and the hang and. I think I've seen him a couple times outside. Gotcha. Have you been on any other trips with him other than just that one, or was it just the one? Uh, no, not not on any with him. There was there was a night we went to Bell Mountain and uh, we set up, and our tarp got blown apart. Oh no, <laughs> right joke. after we set up, and I think he was there, but we wound up hiking off the mountain that evening. Now this wasn't the frozen one that was no, like zero no, degrees, no. was it? No. Because no, I've, I've only been on two group hangs, the one that I met you on, and then that one. I went on a frozen yeah. group hang. I've told the story a hundred times. I actually have a video about it, but basically, long story short for anybody that hasn't listened before, we all went to sleep at like 6, 30, 7 o'clock at night because it was so cold, and we were all pretty much miserable. So we all went back to our, our hammocks, 
I fell asleep. I was really freaking out that I wasn't going to be able to get to sleep because I only had 20 degree quilts and it was supposed to get down to zero. And I kind of felt like I could tough it out and like wear good clothes. And I fell asleep. I woke up to pee. I got back to sleep. I woke up like feeling super refreshed. And I was like, oh my God, I did it. I made it through a whole night of sleeping. And I looked at my phone and it was 1145 at night. (laughs) And I realized I had like six or seven hours left. I've done that a lot. And the worst part was that I wasn't so cold that I was miserable. I was just cold enough that I couldn't get to sleep. So it was kind of comfortable. Yeah, it was just frustrating, right? And the other part was that we had all, one of the mistakes that I made was that I put myself pretty close to some other, you know, people that were there. And we were all trying to have that great view off of the edge of Bell Mountain, which everybody wants. For any of you that haven't been to Bell Mountain in in kind of central southern Missouri, Mark Twain National Forest, it's an absolutely stunning place to go backpacking. Uh, There's some really short hikes in if you come from the northern trailhead. It can be as short as like a two and a half to three mile hike in. It can be really, really easy. Yeah, just over the glades. Yeah, yeah, and it's and it's not a ton of elevation if you come that direction. If you come from the south trailhead, it's a little bit more challenging. Uh, But it's it's a whole lot up to start with. Yeah, it's a lot. (laughs) It's a lot. lot. Uh, The one of the very first backpacking (laughs) trips I went on, really, quite frankly, the first backpacking trip I went on, we came in from the north trailhead and then went the whole loop around. And I mean, it's almost all up. It's terrible. Um, And it was really hot. It was a bad idea. But if you go in the fall or in the winter or even in the spring, it's a gorgeous area. In the fall, it's stunning with the colors that change. Um, But but Bell is one of those places where you really want to be right at the edge. And there's only so many spots that are hammock worthy, you know, good trees, good, good distance, the whole thing. And I was just a little bit too close to everybody where I knew that if I started to make a lot of movements and rustle around, I was going to be waking everybody up. So I was kind of, um, you know, I just basically had to sit there for seven hours in pretty much silence without moving a bunch but knew I was never going to get back to sleep. And I think I may have just enough to keep you awake. And yeah. And I may have drifted off just a little bit here or there, but for the most part I was awake for about seven hours. Um, and so, yeah, it's, uh, I, I have it. That was one of those trips where, and I also like, I, I had completely forgot that when it freezes, you have to take your water into your hammock at night and keep that. Because when I woke up in the morning, like everything was frozen solid. So I couldn't make coffee and I couldn't do anything. And so I just basically had to pack up and leave. Um, so how did you originally get into backpacking and hammock? Is, is that something that you did growing up or is it something that you kind of figured out as an adult? Um, a, a little bit of both kind of really. Okay. Um, I started out in scouts, you know, we'd, well, back my parents used to like to get out in the back we were wildlife photographers and. Oh, no joke. Just, I mean, it, it wasn't not for a living or anything, just for, for fun, but they got all, had all kinds of pictures from way out West hiking out and climbing up with billy goats and getting now were were your parents older uh for for you being you know because like my dad was 38 when he had me so he was kind of reasonably an older dad were your parents kind of older than that or younger than that or where were they what kind of range were they in it's it's really weird all the all the guys in my family seem to have first kid at 27 oh sure (laughs) and so i just like seems to be a weird coincidence a trend in the family yeah Yeah. and it just happens uh but yeah it had me at 27 and I mean, they had a good, good while to, to kind of adventure, I guess. And sure. They were high school sweethearts and just running around doing little jobs to kind of finance their 
their travel that, plans. Their travel yeah. Out, yeah. So now, lifestyle. so they were, they were really into traveling out West. Yeah. What kind of places did they like to go? Oh, they went all over the Grand Canyon, Glacier, kind of hang out in Montana, Idaho. So not giant yeah, California Colorado. folks then it sounds no, like. No, no. Well, they, they did go out to uh, Redwood Forest once, but they went to other places multiple yeah. times, but. Yeah, and and was there anything particular that they were kind of chasing, or was it was it stars, was it trees, was it mountains, or was there anything in particular they just, just liked? Kind of the experiences, you know, yeah. just, just going out and being together and doing things and it's having fun. But it's one of the things that I'm really fortunate in that, and I know that you know you and your your significant other have done you know the backpacking thing together, the the camping thing together. It's one of the things that I'm really lucky. With Sarah uh, is that she's also into backpacking and camping yeah. and hammocks and the whole kinds of, you know, fly fishing and a lot of the stuff that I am where I know that a lot of our vacations, a lot of our, you know, kind of travel for the future will be focused around some of those types of activities. Um, you know, I think it's it's unfortunate. I have some friends whose, you know, girlfriends, gr- fiancés, wives will be like, I'm not camping what are you talking yeah. i'm not sleeping in a tent and i'm like man yeah, have you got air conditioning that <laughs> is there a bug sucks. screen yeah and it, <laughs> it sucks because like, it just oh, means it's a lot less trips that he's yeah. going to get to take in his lifetime yeah. than i will be able to because i can take her along with me and obviously if i can take her then i'm going to get to go on more um yeah, for sure so so you know was that something that you and and you know your girl were is that something that she was into as well before you guys met, or was that something that you guys got into together? Uh, it's something she kind of got into. It's kind of cliche, but uh, she read Wild. Oh, yeah, sure. And then uh, kind of got a bug up her ass about <laughs> about backpacking, and then she found uh, AWOL on the Appalachian Trail. Oh, yeah. And I just started reading books. Uh, she's a reader. And just reading every book she could find on, on backpacking. She brought it up to me one day. She said, hey, what do you think about backpacking? I'm like, Oh, I mean, do you really want to open this box? I mean, I am so in, but I so never she, do. She kind of broached the topic first, then. So it wasn't yeah. something that you were like doing actively, and then she kind of like latched no. onto because it seems like that's something yeah. that happens pretty commonly. If you watch a lot of YouTubers and, and backpackers, you'll see like every now and then they do a girlfriend's trip or a, a wives' trip or something, and they're kind of dragging, kicking, and screaming. <laughs> I, by the way, I'm not making any generalizations about women and, and camping, backpacking. There's a lot of women that are way it's, bigger. It's the media. It's a, Badasses it's a, than I am. Katie and out there for episode 12, I want to say it was, uh, one of them included. But um, the, the reason I say that is I'm just always fascinated kind of how that comes to be, right? And so yeah. it sounds like, so if she came up with the idea what were some of the, kind of the first trips that you guys did together? Did you kind of dip a toe in the water? Or did you just like jump in head first? Well, we we uh, we did a lot of day hiking, and I mean we'd been car camping since basically since we got together. So we kind of well when she decided to combine the two, I was just all super about it. We tried to do lightweight on a budget, oh, and we wound up spending a fortune and. <laughs> Carrying a whole bunch of shit we didn't need. Yeah. And it, it was it was painful. It was uh, our very first trip. We figured, I mean, we were in pretty good shape. I just finished the Tough Mudder that year. And doing good, not to say that I'm a badass or anything. I just, <laughs> I was in better shape than I'd been in a lot of, sure. a lot of years. And yeah, now yeah. I'm not in that shape anymore. It makes a big but, difference. But, I mean, you realize if you're carrying an extra 20 pounds, I mean, it's like carrying a whole other backpack oh, on your back, right? Oh, extra 20 pounds, hell. My, 
my pack was 68 pounds. Our oh first my time God. Out. Yeah. It, uh, <clears throat> we went to, well, we, now were, we you, just, we were, were a, you just doing an overnighter? No, we, we went whole hog, man. We took four days. Oh my God. <laughs> decided to do almost 50 miles. We went Johnson shut-ins down along Goggins mountain through, I think that's the trace Creek section. So you did a section of the Ozark Trail, yeah, we did like a the 50 whole mile thing. section of the Ozark Trail <laughs> yeah. for your first trip out. Wow! And I had a pack that was almost seventy pounds. Brandy had a pack that was, I think she was fifty six or fifty eight, and she was pushing sixty pounds. And, oh my god! And oh my god! I mean, yeah, we had just, and it was ridiculous because I had a super ultralight little tin can stove that I made. So, so out where, of soda let, cans me, and let stuff. me ask you this: Where did the weight come from? Right, so like, what well, were you carrying that weighed sixty eight pounds? I had a Alps Zephyr uh, two person backpacking tent. Okay, and it was five and a half pounds, which I thought, you know, I mean, when I was backpacking with Boy Scouts way back in the day, I'm like twelve, thirteen years old. Yeah, I'm carrying fifty or sixty pounds. Can- I've got a canvas pop tent. A, yeah, got that big green Coleman flannel lined. Oh yeah, Walmart sleeping bag that'll. For sure. <laughs> you could sleep in Antarctica just under the stars. Oh, yeah. And be like, okay, this is cool. And you know, it's about 65 pounds. It was funny. One of the uh, the trips that I went on my first solo backpacking trip, um, I was in a hammock, and I was out in the middle of, I can't remember where I was. It was not a, it was like a 12 or 13-mile loop, but the, the end of the loop was close to the parking lot. I mean, I was only like a mile and a half from the parking lot. You could hear the road. And yeah. I was kind of freaking out because it was, I was all by myself for the first time. And I was like, oh, this is a little sketchy. If somebody comes, I'm on my own. And at about seven yeah. o'clock, I'm in kind of this weird kind of not really clear clearing. And I'm right on the edge of it. And all of a sudden I just start hearing kids screaming, yelling. And you <laughs> that's could kind just, of terrifying. You could, well, but you could hear a Boy Scout troop coming, right? You could just, it was like the telltale yeah, signs. Yeah. If you've been on enough backpacking trips, like you okay. just kind of know what a back uh, a Boy Scout troop is going to sound like. And they come cruising, and I'm like, oh, guests, fine. I would yeah. rather have murder uh, uh, witnesses than, yeah. than be by myself in solitude <laughs> yeah. right now. That's fine. So they come cruising into camp, and there's, I don't know, bunch of them probably 10 or 12 of them and like one of the kids just sets up like a straight up a-frame tarp near the ground like a foot off the ground and then they just put down a tarp and then the kids put down a sleeping bag and i was like if these 10 year olds (laughs) can sleep under an a-frame tarp on the ground just in their sleeping bags like no bug net no nothing no tent no nothing i was like what am i chickening out about so it, it was yeah. one of those moments where I was like glad to have people there, but the 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 extra stuff that they were carrying was like I I I figured that they'd have all this gear and they were super minimalist. And yeah. I was just like, good for you kids, good job. <laughs> yeah, that's, now we've we've. So where where do uh, you think your base weights are at around now? My real base weight, I because I kind of go with what I call my luxury base sure. weight, sure, which because. I'm not old, but I'm not young. Fair. <laughs> After a full day of hiking, I'm not going out for weeks at a time. Yeah. I, I bring a little REI flex light chair, so I sit up off the ground. Yep. Helps my back. It's nice. Uh, so, well, so, so, so if you had to say, like, what your five luxury items, your, your things that you really bring that maybe you don't have to, but are really, you know, helpful, what would you say they are? I'd, well, I'd, 
I generally, well, go on so many long trips that I need to really pare down my weight too much. So I'd say in my chair for sure. We bring a French press. Oh, do you uh, really? I, yeah, I've got the little GSI uh, plastic neoprene cover. Yeah, I know what you're talking backpack about. Backpack and deal. It's, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's kind of a pain dealing with the grounds after it's done because I don't know why, but it leaves about two tablespoons of water or, well, coffee. And the thing that just won't go past the filter. Yeah. It's kind of a pain dealing with wet grounds. But now, do you t- do you pack that out or do you just find a spot and bury right, we, it? We, 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 we throw it in the, in the trash bag. Gotcha. Yeah, that's one of my biggest challenges with, and one of the things that I've probably done that I really want to get back into is I've gotten, I talk about, I think maybe on every episode, but I've talked about the three wise men and the three wise men were the the old guys that were at actually Han State Park that told me like, you need a way to cook food. You need a way to make water and you need a shelter. Everything else is from, you need a shovel. Yeah, right, right. (laughs) And, and, but like you could find a stick and dig a hole if you really wanted to. And, and they no, were going no, like nobody, nobody that digs a hole with a stick is digging deep enough. Yeah, it's valid point there. Uh, these guys were going pretty minimalist, right? And since then, I've really been conscious of like, don't bring it because you think it'll make you more comfortable. Don't bring it if you can possibly get away with not having it. And so my base weight's probably down to like 14, 15 pounds. I'm getting down there pretty light. I don't know if you've seen, uh, do you follow um, either Bryce, do you follow Bryce Newbold? Uh, Okay, so Bryce Bryce is a backpacker uh, out of central Uh, Ohio-ish. Do you follow the Shill Brothers at all? Well, I have to be honest, I I don't really do a whole lot of social media. That's totally fair. I actually just Just got us. Okay, yeah. I have, so I have, so I basically consider them both know. younger versions of Suge, right? So okay. all of them hammock campers, although I think nice. Bryce is more of a tent camper. Um, but just like good backpacking YouTuber dudes, they're kind of our, our age range, mid to late 30s, 40s, that kind of range. Oh. Um, and Bryce just did a video, and then so did Jason uh, Frozen from Outdoor Adventures, if you follow that dude. Uh, they just put on the new Light AF um, multi-day packs and I think Bryce's base weight for an overnight trip was like five or six pounds and I think his total pack weight with like water and food was like 11 pounds maybe 10 which seemed wild that, that, that seems almost gross I, I just I mean, yeah I mean I didn't I unfortunately I haven't had time to watch the full videos I want to get into it I really like Bryce's videos he and I have chatted back and forth on social media a few times. He's a really nice dude. Um, but, you know, I, I'm, I, I, I feel pretty comfortable in the three-season world with, like, 12, maybe 14, 15 pounds. I feel like that would be as yeah. light as I need to get without being just, like, stupid about it. Oh, yeah. Um, but at the same time, like, some of the some videos I watch, I'm like, man, am I missing? Like, why am I not bringing a steak? And just cooking, you know, you know something yeah, awesome for, for the first day, or if you're just yeah. doing, if you're just doing it overnight, yeah. yeah why kinda... why am I not bringing two cans of cold beer, you know, in with me because it yeah. saves me like a pound and a half, and I can you know start my video by going, oh yeah, you know, I got a fourteen pound base or fifteen whatever. Yeah. Uh, part of me wonders like why am I not bringing some more kind of luxury items, some lights for my tarp, things like that, just some little you know 
Starlights or something like that. I've seen. I know Derek yep. carries some of those. Yeah, you know, we, we've got some that run on just CR twenty twenty five batteries. Oh, do you really? But yeah, just one battery runs for about twelve hours. Total. Oh, no joke. Yeah, they're fantastic. They're not real bright at all, but I which mean, is kind of what you want, right? Yeah, you know, you can flick it on in the middle of the night and get up and go pee and yeah. not wind up tripping on your on your guy lines or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's so. always the challenge. Now, your tarps. Did you guys make your tarps or did you guys buy tarps? I made everything. Okay, so I, you're, and, and that's one of the things yeah. that I always found really fascinating about you is like, the, I'm not a huge DIY guy. I'm typically just like, somebody else is really good at this. I'm going to give them some money. They're going to give me their thing. You've kind of gone the other route where you really dig into like making a lot of stuff yourself, which I have a huge amount of respect for. Um, so tell me a little bit about your hammock setup and like the stuff that you've made. Tell me a little bit about your Oh, uh, well, I, I actually got into sewing just to make stuff because yeah. there's there's five of us in our in our family and I didn't want I don't know it, it seems like a fortune to outfit one person with with a hammock set up and well and it is but uh, I figured I could save a little money doing it all so oh I yeah I mean I what well, you can you can drop a thousand dollars oh between easy. a hammock quilts and a tarp Easy. pretty quick. And I mean, that's not backpack. That's not clothes. That's not any of the yeah. other stuff. That's just, just like, shelter. just shelter. You can drop a thousand bucks. And that's what I always tell people. If they're going to dip a toe into the hammock route, I'm always like, okay, that's cool. But if you're not going to make stuff like you're, you're probably committing to about a thousand bucks and that's for one season. Like if you want to go yeah, real cold that. or real warm, you're probably going to add between four to six hundred dollars per season, depending on what kind of quilt setup you want to have. Yeah. Now, I think if you're really good at the at the flea market, I think you know if you really get into the forums and stuff, you can probably find some good used gear. Uh, but yeah, it's a certainly. pretty competitive space because there's so many people in the forums now uh, that it, you know if yeah. you got uh, an underpriced quilt or something like that, yeah, you, you better be scanning the yeah for sale section. All day, every day, yeah. if you want to get something. Yeah, I will say, uh, the dude I had on the last podcast, Casey, uh, my buddy from Kentucky, uh, I think Casey's one of those guys that when he's not at work, he's scanning a lot. <laughs> and uh, I think he's just, he's always on kind of like, oh, this dude posted this bag for that. Yeah. Yup, absolutely. <laughs> and, I mean, he po- he's got, I don't know, I think 10 quilts or something like that. I mean, he's Good got... Lord. Just by himself, right? No, wow. no kids, no. So he's really, really into it. I think he's got three or four backpacks. Uh, so it, it kind of started for you out of a necessity because you've got five people in your family. So one of that, that kind of actually brings me into a thing that I want to do. Uh, we actually had a caller from our social media uh, <laughs> post that left a voicemail. And I want to go ahead and play that call for you. Because I think this plays into, um, you know, I've gone fishing with you and your kids in the last couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. And I know that you go backpacking with your kids. Like, you do a lot of stuff in the outdoors with your kids. And yeah. so I wanted to play this message because I think it plays well into it. I want to get your take on it. And even though I don't have kids, I've got some opinions of my own. So let's go ahead and play this and we'll see what your answer is. All right. Hey, AJ. Uh, i got a question for your guest today, a fellow dad with kids trying to get him into the outdoors. Um, my question is, how do you battle getting kids into the outdoors and making sure they are having fun, but also not putting an unrealistic expectation or experience in their heads? Uh, an example for me would be uh, fishing a stocks pond where you know you're going to catch a fish on every cast, 
or hunting a game preserve where the animals are just about tame? Um, are we setting uh, them up for failure, putting unrealistic expectations in their heads, or are we just showing them how fun the outdoors can actually be? Appreciate the, appreciate the time, and I'm interested to see if any other dads out there have this uh, idea in their heads or if it's just me. Appreciate it. All right, so – uh, what would, what, what's your advice for the dads out there? How have you gotten your kids interested? Well, I mean, you just got to kind of make it fun for them. I mean, if, if you're just taking them out to the woods and saying, Hey, look at this, they're going to go, okay, that's great. I don't, I don't have cell service here. I can't do a thing. So you got, you got to distract them from the whole thing. So we, we kind of started our kids pretty young, you know, we'll take them to say, out to Johnson shut-ins and uh, Elephant Rock for a day. Yeah. We go bum around in the morning on the rocks and then cool off at Johnson shut-ins. But while we're going, crawling around the rocks, we give them all a scavenger hunt and a bag, and you got to find this type of leaf and this and a stick and try to find a piece of trash and, and just try to keep them involved and, and kind of distracted from not having a video game three inches from their face and – got to make it fun uh don't put too many expectations on it you know we went uh actually just yesterday we took the boys to creep lake to go well, we took our we took our two kayaks and rented a couple for the boys to go paddle around and my 10 year old was out there with us he did a great job but he's a 10 year old and especially with the whole covid thing he's been kind of really sedentary yeah and so he's just got no athleticism to them and i mean we live in the city like in the city proper so there's not a lot of space to run around and yeah and just kind of be a boy so yeah we were hoping to spend a couple hours out on the water and he was just whooped after about one hour cooked yeah i mean it would have been nice to be out on the water longer but we still all had a good time it was it was worthwhile and nobody left too disappointed you know and you just got to kind of not not put that big expectation you know don't take don't take an eight-year-old out on a twenty-mile, yeah, yeah, <laughs> two or three-day hike. It, it seems expect like them to love it. It seems like all the experts that I've kind of listened to, or I've listened to a few podcasts on the topic, and and kind of listened to or read a few articles, and it seems like kind of the consensus opinion is exactly what you just said, right? It's don't go out with the expectation of having the day that you thought you were going to have. Go out with the expectation of trying to make sure that your kids have fun. And if you can figure out a way, I think that scavenger hunt is an awesome idea. I think that I never would have thought about that. One of, one of the things that I really do enjoy about social media is that, you know, I don't have kids yet, but a lot of my friends do. And I get this kind of window into how they parent their kids. And I get these like weird little kind of tips and techniques from each of my friends. I'm like, oh, yeah, scavenger hunt. That's a brilliant idea. Or like a friend of mine was his grand or her mom was having her son. So grandma, grandson uh, was needing pizza dough for dinner and she was having him do the alphabet as he needed the dough. So with each little push forward, he was a B C. And I was like, I would have never put those two things together. Great idea. And so develop a, Kind of habit or... Exactly. And so one of the the experts that I listened to a podcast with, or I guess she was just a mom that started a kind of outdoor adventure club for kids. So other moms, other dads that wanted to get their kids outside but didn't know what to do. And one of the things that she said was, especially with toddlers, is uh, 
you know, we don't drive where we're going to go. Like we'll start at a trailhead, but if they make it 50 feet in and spend an hour 50 feet in, in a puddle, we're fine. As long as they're entertained and enjoying themselves and exploring and adventuring, that's the whole point. It's not digging in the dirt with a stick. It's not to cover miles. You know what I mean? And so exactly as you said, right? It's not, it's even if they're just digging in the stick in the parking lot, if there's like a mud puddle, that's fine. You know, so just let them drive how long you're out there, what you're going to be doing while you're there versus kind of focusing so much on, you know, your experience. So when, when one of the things that he asked, which I think is important to focus on is, you know, because I know you take your kids fishing a lot. Is it more important to make sure that they're catching fish earlier? Or is it more important to like, the world is an easy kid. Like, you know, (laughs) I walk both ways uphill in the snow. Uh, so is it, are we damaging them by, Uh, by taking them to the stock ponds and the Montauks and the, the Bennett Springs, or are we just making sure that they're having fun early so that they want to do it more long-term? Well, I kind of try to give them both experiences. You know, I mean, I, I know a couple of runoff streams that we're not supposed to fish around here that I know I can take them (laughs) and we can just mop up on bluegill all day long. I'm not taking them home. I'm not eating them. They're not big enough. I mean, they're smaller than my hand, but I'll take them there and go mop up to keep them interested. Well, frankly, because kind of selfishly, if, if they're interested, I get to fish longer. Yeah. So if if they get bored, my day gets over. Yeah. hundred percent. So, but I want to give them that too. I taught them how to fly fish so they, they don't catch as many fish. <laughs> so they don't get so. How, how have your kids <laughs> responded to fly fishing? I mean, because one of the things that I'm always interested, and I think there's a lot of schools of opinion on this, because it seems like every time I see a kid that I'm like, there's that kid's way too young to be like struggling because I'm, you know, I'm like a 37 year old guy. I played football in college. Like I'm a coordinated athletic dude, I'm physically fit. Like I can do the whole thing. I still struggle to get the casting motion, right? Someone's going to put, you know, put a fly rod, a eight, nine foot fly rod in the hands of a, you know, a six year old, seven year old kid. And then all of a sudden you see some video of some kid, like double hull casting 40, 50 feet at some show. And you're like, all right, well maybe I'm wrong about this. So I'm always curious, like, how did you, you know, obviously I would imagine your kids were kind of more into spin fishing early because you just got into fly fishing yourself like a year, year and a half ago. Yeah. And so really only got in three years ago. Oh, really? Okay. Same, same with us. Yeah. So like my, my girlfriend's dad, I had, I, I was like against fishing. I thought it was dumb because <laughs> like, too. I do not want to stare at a bobber in a lake and just that sit was... there and get, you know, too many PBRs deep. Yeah, that was, that right? was my whole experience with fishing when I was a kid. Exactly, right? Yeah, I'm going to stand at the edge going, of a dock. Yeah, I'm good. Stare at a bobber. That's super boring. And the fish that you catch never really seem to be that cool anyway. So I was just out of it. And then her dad, my girlfriend's dad, was like, hey, you know, I always go fishing. There's this beautiful park. You should come down. I'll take you. Camp. You know, like he set up the whole campsite. Everything was great. Gourmet, I mean, he was making kick-ass food, and we just had this awesome setup, and I just, I mean, I it was like washed over me, this <laughs> feeling of euphoria. I was like, oh, my God, it's my thing. 
So, but it, we were spin fishing, right? Just yeah. little simple six foot Shakespeare ugly sticks, you know, 40, 50 bucks at a Walmart, even less than that, sometimes 30 bucks. Yeah. And we're just out there with power bait crushing trout. You know what I mean? Like limiting out every yeah. morning by 830 in the morning, four or five fish on the stringer. And we're cooking fish at night. Damn, we're, you know, sound like a long, time. well, so here's the <laughs> deal, right? Like, so we'd limit it by 830 in the morning and then just catch and release the rest of the day and right, just yeah. have ourselves a fun. Okay. And so I just fell in love with it and the whole experience, just the park and the lodge and the people and the interaction, you go get your tags, just the whole thing I thought was yeah. awesome. And then all of a sudden we're down there one year and I can't remember when specifically, but we're kind of struggling. And this guy comes walking down the river and he's just annihilating fish. I mean, he's <laughs> catching five, 10 fish in 60 yards of water. And we're all blanking for wow. an hour. And this dude's just murdering. And my girlfriend's like, what is that? And I was like, oh, it's a fly rod. And I mean, I, I mean, she knew what a fly fishing rod was. But, you know, we were both just like, why is he so much more yeah, just... capable than the rest <laughs> of us? And the, the answer was that he lived in the area for 30 years. He'd been fishing for 30 years. Yeah. He knew every little pocket of water. He knew exactly what river was doing what. Um, He's got a name for each of the fish. And a, each a, of the holes. Oh, Carl, how are you? <laughs> through, through, you know, Carl loves the old number 12, you know, bully bugger. Uh, but. Uh, never, never resist chartreuse. <laughs> exactly. Uh, I know you, thanks chartreuse. So, so we, you know, kind of got the bug, right? And then I started mentioning it and my buddy Brad was on the podcast and we started talking about it through him and some other things, and all of a sudden it just took off and went from there. So how did you introduce your kids to fly fishing, and was it an easy thing for them to pick up, or is it still something that they're kind of figuring out and learning? I kind of got exposed to it through my very first time. Okay. <laughs> I just, uh, like I said, I got my rod for uh, Father's Day last year. Yeah, like the next weekend, I took it out to Marble Creek, and watched. I'd watched a few YouTube videos beforehand, and Never held a fly rod before, never no cast it. I was like, well, hell, okay, let's see what happens. Start whipping it around and got hung up in a tree on my second cast. Isn't that how it always goes. <laughs> and broke off my very first fly I ever tied, which was just a piece of craft puff ball and a, uh-huh. and a stupid little guinea feather. I'm pretty <laughs> sure the first cast I ever threw on my actual rod that was given to me for my birthday, I'm pretty sure I came home, I strung it up, and I threw it behind me and just heard a whack. And just threw it forward. And there was nothing left. And I was just, oh, oh. oh shit. <laughs> so, I don't think I made it as far as you did. So uh, I, I'm, I'm right there with you. Yeah, my, my fifth cast was really cool because I caught a fish. I didn't even know it. No joke. <laughs> he just hit it like as I was making my back cast. Oh, uh, Poland. And, and he yeah. was only about an inch and a half long. <laughs> so this little fish whipped, whipped past my ear. It was like 8 o'clock in the morning. I'm like, what the hell was that? <laughs> and I threw a, f- a forward cast and I Seen it come by, and a, a little bitty pumpkin seed, and I'm like, oh, shit, and he's just slapped against the water. Oh, poor guy. Like, oh, no, dude, I'm sorry. <laughs> Go over there and pick him up. And he's just laying there like, oh, Jesus, please stop hitting me. <laughs> oh, my God. Got the hook out and kind of set him down in the water, and he sat there for a second and then scare, scurried off. But Now, how big like, is oh, your? Man. How big was your first rod, or what, what, what weight is your first rod? It was a five-weight. Okay, so you went. medium Medium fast action, I guess. And is it a nine foot? Nine foot, yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. And so. uh, Amazon special. Dude, whatever gets. Rod reel line flies, little box and everything. So 
Sarah it's pretty decent. Sarah's Rod and Reel is a gimme from a friend of ours. I had a friend named Andy and his wife Kelly that went through um, a, a power outage during a heat wave a couple of years ago. During that period of time, I had the house to myself. I was just like, guys, you got a kid and dogs and just bring the family over here. There's yeah. no reason for you to go through this stuff. They came over. We had a great couple of days. They took off when everything got back to normal at their house. And then a couple of years go by and Kelly says, hey, I've got a, a fly fishing reel that I found in my basement that, you know, is for sale. 50 bucks for anybody that wants it. And it's like an Orvis Clearwater eight weight reel. And I was nice. like, I'll take that. And she was like, oh, for you, it's free. Nice. And I got a bunch of other fly fishing gear you can have too. And I was like, bring it. Let's go. So she comes over and brings me this Orvis Clearwater 8-weight reel with an Orvis line on it. So it's an Orvis 8-weight line. So, I mean, that's a couple hundred bucks at least. Yeah. And... Then she's got a uh, White River, which is to my memory either Cabela's or Bass yeah, Pros, kind of entry it, level. That's their house brand. Yeah, house brand. Um, eight which and a half technique. foot five weight rod, uh, lightest nice. little five weight you've ever seen, and what I believe is a four weight line. And uh, Craig and Tom call it a silent poacher because it's got a silent retrieve, like you were talking mm-hmm. about on yours. Yeah. And it is weird uh, to me because mine makes a ratchet noise like many reels do. And hers is just dead silent. And so I just got a new reel for my rod and put my old reel on hers. And she's all bitter (laughs) because my old reel makes noise and she really liked hers. But so she fishes a a hand-me-down gift of an eight and a half foot five weight. It's probably got a four foot line or four weight line on it. And she catches more fish than I do. So, you know, and, and practices at it way less than I do. Thinks about it way less than I do. There, there's been a thing. I don't know if you listen to Meat Eater podcast. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. They've been talking about how, uh, how women a lot of times outfish men just because whatever, be it hormones. Or, they may be more patient. Or, uh, a lot of women are better shooters than men because they've yeah. got steadier hands than guys yeah. do. I mean, there's a lot of... Um, pin up aggression from dealing with us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there, there's a lot of physical and mental attributes that actually make women advantageous in the outdoors. Um, and in a lot of the hobbies that we perform, I would imagine that there's probably a lot of really incredible women archers out there that might outshoot a lot of guys. Now, when it comes to like pure straight performance and power and hiking, maybe not, but are you familiar with Courtney Dowalter? Do you know who she is? I know the name. So Courtney Do- Courtney Dowalter is this unbelievable mega marathon or ultra marathon competitor. Um, she just did like two years ago. She finished the Moab oh, two forty. Oh, was she, was she on Joe's podcast? Yeah, she was on okay, Rogan's okay, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. And I she, remember she did the the Moab two forty in eight hours faster than the next closest okay, person yeah. who was a guy, right? <laughs> yeah. So, like, she mopped the floor. <laughs> She's just with an exceptional human being among dude, exceptional human exactly, beings. Exactly, right? So, like, I don't mean to say that as a rule that there are no outliers out there that can no, stomp the guts out of the best men in the world. Um, mediocre but, women can whip my ass right now. <laughs> for sure, right? I mean, and, and I will say one of the things that hiking and backpacking and, and a lot of these hobbies will teach you is 
a lot of these things are diminishing skills. Oh like my god, fastly so diminishing skills. Cyclical. If you if you get off the trail for a couple months, it'll beat you to <laughs> death, right? I mean, and if you haven't been on, if you haven't been out there, and then you attempt a big trail, your feet aren't ready, your legs aren't ready, your lungs aren't ready. There's yeah. so many things that can really put a beat down on you. Have you, in your backpacking experience, have you ever had any significant injuries or any kinds of pains that have been like almost insurmountable? Uh, not really. I mean, I've had I've had some knee issues, kind of off and on, almost since I can remember. But it's it's weird because it's it doesn't seem to be aggravated by any particular gotcha so type not, of thing. It's just it's just sometimes it just my, goes. My, my right knee's kind of weird and. I can I can take a step and my leg just kind of forgets how to be a leg. Oh no, yeah. <laughs> my knee just quits. Now, do you and, uh, do you bring a brace so, or do you wear anything when you do it? Or is yeah, it I'll, just, I'll bring a brace it if it starts if it starts bothering me. I'll gotcha. Slip one on if if I remember to bring it. But yeah, for sure. But uh, so it's not something that's just like every time you go out, you're like, no, well, got to no, put the knee brace on. No, gotcha. But if I, I guess if I do do a lot of downhill, then I'll. Yeah, one of the things. Well, the, the trekking poles do seem to help a lot. Oh, I, 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 th- I thought they were stupid when we first started. I don't know um, how people backpack without them. No. Once you have them, I don't know how oh. people do it without them. No. I don't get it. Um, it's, it's amazing. Uh, just from a stability standpoint, I mean, you've got four points of contact instead of two. Pull yourself the, up. The driving yeah, force that you have and pushing yourself on flat ground, if you really know what you're doing, you're kind of pushing along. I mean there was a trip um man i want to say maybe it was the hammock forums trip with uh the 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 really cold day but maybe it was on the way out i can't remember but i think i was hiking with gideon if memory serves me correctly and there was a point where we had our trekking poles really going. And I mean, we were going like four, four and a half miles an hour, which not even thinking about it doesn't sound like it's moving. I mean, four <laughs> and a half miles sounds that is moving <laughs> on a backpacking trip. I mean, <laughs> it is moving three miles an hour is a good clip. Four and a half is cruising. Yeah. I mean, if you figure, you know, if the average jogger runs a 10 minute mile, yeah, well, that's six miles an hour. Yeah. You're moving four or five miles a year. You're almost jogging. Almost jogging, <laughs> I mean, yeah. I mean, it was long strides, but it was, I'm telling you, the the biggest factor that played a big important role I mean, was that I was just pushing forward with yeah, my, my hiking sticks. Um, <laughs> now, do you have a specific hiking pole that you really like or one that you've done yourself or or what, what hiking, st- or did you just go out and I, find a brand that you liked? I, I started out with some Walmart cheapies just yeah. to see... If I liked it, because we, we, we went to uh, went to the Smoky Mountains, and I saw a day hiker going up a trail that we were going to hike. And he's the guy with the with the light blue Columbia <clears throat> full UV button-up oh, yeah. shirt and the, the big duck hat thing with the back flap. And, and, and I mean, it's the middle of summer. I'm going, Jesus, man, that's got to be hot. And look at this asshole. He's like walking like a spider going up this thing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I got my trekking poles. Look at me go. And I got home. And I, we went on a hike a couple weeks later, and my knee kind of started aggravating me. I'm like, maybe that guy's not an asshole. Maybe mm. maybe there's something maybe to there's even something going to that on, guy. on a day hike. And I just got some cheapies from Walmart and started using them. I'm like, oh, my God. this Yeah, I don't know how 
yeah. people do this without it. My hands swell up when I when I don't have them. Well, you know, because the, the straps are yeah pinching circulation off, and I'm swinging my arms down by my sides. Yeah, I just get a whole lot of blood up there. And I raise my arms above my head, and I'm fine. But with the trekking poles, it keeps them up above. Yeah, and the, I mean, they also and, give you they give you an additional. Uh, What's the word? They give you the ability to go into porch mode without having to go out and find. Oh, yeah. Don't have to you find know, the perfect stick that per- isn't half rotten. Exactly <laughs> right. So you're not looking around in the in the in the woods for a four and a half foot straight stick, right? That's not exactly as you said, rotten to death. Um, and and it gives you that ability to kind of. And for anybody that doesn't understand porch mode, if you are a hammock backpacker. Uh, you know, one of the things that you can do is you can essentially prop one side of your tarp, one of the edges up using trekking poles so that it gives you more of a flat top on that side of the tarp. Well, and or all four. Or, or yeah, you can go all four. You go yeah, you for, can. For like patio mode. <laughs> well, and then the other thing that it does give you, like if you've got a decent set of trekking poles, and quite frankly, I agree with you, I think you can do this just fine with a set of cheapies from Walmart or from Amazon. I've got some Cascade Mountain poles that I got from my girlfriend that I think were like 30 bucks for the pair. They're yeah. carbon fiber. Yeah, I, I got they've some got clip locks. Now. You know, they've got cork awesome. handles. And yeah. I can't tell you that they're any worse than the 150 something dollar carbon flash ones that I've got from REI. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think hers might be yeah. lighter. Maybe mine are a little tougher. I've never yeah. broken one, so I don't know that it's really that necessary. Yeah. Um, but one of the other things that that having trekking poles gives you the ability to do, a lot of the lighter tents out there, once you especially get into the kind of the Z-Pax tents or some of the kind of Cuban yeah. fiber tents. You can go crazy light with that stuff. You can get really crazy, but most of them require... A, uh, a trekking pole or more trekking poles, sometimes like the duplex and I think even the, the, the single uh, from, from uh, Z-Packs, I think both require two trekking poles as, as kind of the suspension part of the, the tent itself or the structure, I should say, part of the tent. Um, so having them can serve lots of purposes. You can hang things from them if you need to. I sometimes drape like a wet, you know, garment or something like that just over the top of one so it can dry. Lots of purposes. Yeah, they're, they're if if you had to bad. if you had to narrow it down to say like what your favorite piece of gear is that you take backpacking on a regular basis, what would oh, you say it would be? It's got to be my chair. No joke. Uh, yeah. It, it it makes that much of a difference. I mean, wow. when when it's cold outside, I took a uh, took a Costco down blanket and just mm-hmm. cut it into quarters. Made an underquilt for the chair. Smart. Keeps my butt warm. Keeps me off the ground. If if the ground's wet, I don't have to worry about that. Yeah. It's a nice rest on my back. A lot of times it's a lot of sitting around. I mean we don't do a whole lot of miles just just to kind of keep it fun. Yeah. But uh yeah, the chair's gotta be one of my <laughs> one of my favorite pieces. For sure. It's, now you 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 know we were talking a little bit about before earlier that you've done a lot of kind of your own DIY stuff right so yeah. uh, what was the first thing that you made on your own uh, the first thing I made was was five hammocks oh wow and it was it was pretty easy really I mean just a couple straight stitches a couple folds right simple hems you know one piece of fabric for sure, <laughs> the, for sure. Big, now, the, the biggest problem was measuring the fabric because. None of my rooms are bigger than twelve foot. <laughs> For sure, right? <laughs> my house and, and you start out with a twelve foot piece of fabric. And yeah. Go, how the hell am I going to lay this out? How am I going to cut this? I'm, 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, for a lot of people out there that are, you know, in smaller places, there's not a lot of rooms that are, you know, bigger than 10, 12 feet wide. I mean, tons of places. Um, Move furniture over and go at the diagonal. (laughs) (laughs) Is is sewing the types of fabric. So for those of you out there that aren't really familiar with, uh, you know, the hammock camping world. So most of these hammocks are made out of a nylon style fabric, kind of a you know, a polyester style fabric, something basically super thin. Think of like a 1980s jumpsuit, right? Like a track suit that you would wear that looked really cool when you were out hanging out with your friends, like the matching top and bottom track suit. Like that's kind of the material, but a thinner version of it. (laughs) But about an eighth as thick. Yeah, right. Exactly. So is it difficult? Like, did you practice on more traditional fabrics first or did you just like dump, jump right into the, the lightweight nylons? Yeah, I, I went to Joanne and found a piece of just basic, what it was, jersey maybe. Sure. Cloth. It was on clearance for 50 cents. I'm like, well, hell, I can, I can run some stitches through this. Yeah. Make sure the, the, the machine even works. I got it from some lady that my wife's family knows through a friend or something died. Friend of a friend of a friend. And they had an estate sale, everything that was left. They're like, okay, well, we're going to get rid of this. For whatever reason, my mother-in-law got this sewing machine and said, "Hey, you want this?" Oh, yeah, I think I do. Yeah, <laughs> I, sure. I could. I, I I think I could get into making some equipment. Yeah, here. that'd be kind of cool. And so yeah, I got a cheap piece of fabric, ran some stitches, just made some some little drawstring bags, and I made a little caddy thing that go, went on the case for my sewing machine. I'm like, okay, yeah, I got this. And I ordered a bunch of fabric, and it all came in, and I like set it out on my table in stacks and it's also slippery. It just like <laughs> spilled off, off the table, just unraveled. Went it's everywhere. Just a mess. And it was scared the hell out of the cats. Then they started like <laughs> flipping out all over the stuff. And I'm like, Oh Jesus. Okay. Well, this is uh, going to be an experience. So <laughs> it turned out it wasn't so bad. Yeah, the, absolutely. The, the, the tarps were a whole lot slicker than the. Yeah. No <laughs> joke. Now have you made hammocks, quilts but, as well? Uh, not officially. Find some Costco. Gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> throws. Now, have you, quilts. have you made anything? I mean, I would imagine you've got at least a single layer. Have you made anything that's, that's more than a single layer? Cause I wouldn't imagine those are probably mm. good much further than like what? 40, 50 degrees. Yeah. Maybe even, the, maybe well, even the, 50, 60 degrees. The, yeah. Comfort wise, probably 50. Gotcha. Uh, that, that hammock forms hang that we went on that we met at. That was my first time out with with my first single layer. Oh no, joke! Uh, under quilt, and it was cold. I was sleeping <laughs> pad cold. style back then, so yeah. I didn't have a quilt. Uh, I did a sleeping yeah. bag on top of a sleeping pad, and I was yeah. cold that night. And on top of that, I yeah. was pretty uncomfortable. Like uh, yeah. one of the pieces of advice that I will give all of you hammock campers out there, and this was a piece of advice that I got after I was too far into hammock camping to give up on it. And I got really close. And this is why I want to give you the advice. If you're going to try to get into hammock camping, first and foremost, try to sleep in your hammock for four to five nights, if possible, before you ever go actually out in the woods. Oh, yeah, definitely. Okay, I, th- I thought you were going to mean per trip. No, 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 no. <laughs> no. Yeah, get get no, used no. to it beforehand. Yeah. Because there's there's a learning <laughs> curve. And, you know, I mean, I started with a double, uh, double nest from Eno. Funny enough, it's actually still the hammock that I use. I have a Blackbird 
from Warbonnet with a net and it's custom made, double layer. Really? The whole th- I have the whole thing. It's two hundred dollar hammock. I went back to my Eno, and really? it's not because of uh, the length. I wish I had. It's because I got claustrophobic with the zip bug net. Okay, and yeah. I get a little claustrophobic at times, and so that just, for some reason, it felt like it was coming in on me. Yeah, I and so that. I just said, screw it. I want an open-top hammock. I already had one. I'm yeah. going to use it. And so That's what I use. to yeah. this day, I've been hammock camping for five years. I have some of the best gear you can possibly buy. <laughs> I still have an Eno double nest. I will hold my hand <laughs> to my heart and admit that I still rock an Eno double nest. And this is And, and look, and the reason I say this is that don't let the gear get in the way. No, but, definitely not. Right? Like, go do whatever, like you said. Like, if, there's, there's if decent Walmart stuff gear, at Walmart. use gear, uh, garage sale gear, whatever you can get your hands on that will make you feel comfortable just trying it in the woods one night, use yeah. that, right? You'll figure it out from there. You'll you'll figure out, like, oh, this sleeping bag's not warm enough. I need to go get a different one, or this pad's not comfortable, or this backpack's too heavy, or whatever. Yeah. But oh, the rating was 40 degrees. It got down to 45 and I was freezing. Exactly. Oh, yeah, that, that just means you won't die. There's some of those, right? <laughs> so you're going to figure these things out along the way. But one of the pieces of advice that I always give people is, A, if you're going to get into hammock camping, try to sleep in it for four or five nights before you give up because it's yeah. going to take you a while to figure it out and to get comfortable. And I'll tell you what, when I go backpacking now, it can be – Two years between the last time I went to hammock camping, the second I hit the hammock, I'm like, oh, I'm just out cold. Game over, man. It it's is the best sleep. It is done. <laughs> but it takes you four or five times to kind of figure it out and to like, my neck goes over here and I got to stick a t-shirt under there and this yeah. goes over there. And, and it just takes you a little bit to figure it out. But once you do, it's going to be Real hard to go back to a tent again unless you're talking oh, like a, a legit air mattress. Uh, yeah. It's just, I mean, if if I, I don't like, I mean, I've got a 20-inch wide, really nice, big Agnes, you know, thick-ass yeah. air mattress. <laughs> it, but it's still only 20 inches wide. Yeah. And, like, I, when I'm in my bed, I spread out. I'm a stomach side, <laughs> wide, weird, weird sleeper. And... The no side sleeper, so I need a thick pad yeah. to keep my hips off the ground. Yeah, right. right? Just, so same again, thing. I'm, I'm not very old, but I ain't young either. And, and I don't <laughs> sleep on my back at all no. when I'm at home, but in a tent, I mean in a hammock. Oh, yeah, no problem. All night long. I got to sleep on a pad on my back. Miserable. I'm never falling asleep. Miserable. Um, so I have one of the Sierra Designs. I'll show it to you before you leave. It is the weirdest hammock or the weirdest sleeping bag you've ever seen. Uh, it's one is, of the ones that... Is, is it that, like... Gingerbread man thing yeah. with the arms and legs. Oh, no, shit. no, that's a Selk bag. You're okay. thinking of the Selk bag. So mine is weird in that it doesn't, there's no zipper on my whole bag. Uh, it's oh, it got like a fold in flap deal. Yeah. Okay, I have yeah. one of those and oh, it's those are pretty cool. Awesome for sleeping yeah. on your chest or on your side because you can kind of fold just, it all around you. It's awesome. Up in it and <laughs> um, and it's a little bit wider than a normal mummy bag. So you've got yeah. a little bit more room to kind of put your arm underneath here, do some different things. Yeah. It's really cool. But I probably haven't slept in that bag in four years because why would I want to have a hammock? Yeah. Um, now I yeah. do think Top it's on a quilt. Man. Oh, and, and that's <laughs> so the thing, nice. right? And so like when you get into hammock camping and this is one of the things I want to chat with you about when you get into hammock camping, there's it's so 
obvious once you've done it what you should do, right? Like, yeah. you get an 11-foot hammock, sure. you get whoopee sling suspension or one of the lighter suspensions, right? Like Some whoopies. people do, right? But I like whoopies. Yeah. Uh, it, they're like the simplest, lightest, easiest suspension, I think, for everybody. Yeah. Um, you need probably a 12-foot tarp, but an 11-foot is fine. 12 foot makes it really nice because you just have more room. Yeah. I've got an 11 foot. Oh. I wish I had a 12. Dude, 12 with doors <laughs> I, is well, I, I did wild. Make a, I did make a 12 with doors. And when me and the wife go out together, we hang together yeah. under that 12 foot with doors. And it's fantastic. Now, when you guys hang together, do you guys use a spreader bar? Or no. do you just. No, we just figured out how to kind of stagger ourselves vertically. Oh, no joke. So I kind of sleep. I slip just a little bit underneath her. Oh, weird. Just because we, we used to. Hangs direct side by side. Yeah, that's a bummer. And oh, dude, it's just cramping your shoulders. We'd both wake up, just like, oh my god. Yeah, it's a bummer. <laughs> it hurts. So then we tried sleeping head to foot, and that helps ish. Yeah, but you still grind at the hip. Yeah, but I just figured if I hang my stagger about, a little bit. about six inches lower than hers. And now, have you looked at like the the Dutch beetle buckle suspension with the spreader bar at one end? Have you seen that? Yeah. Well, being a machinist by trade, I. You can make I, that. I, I, yeah, I, I I love Dutch's stuff. I've bought some of it, but I've also kind of borrowed some, some of his designs. I don't sell anything. I sure. don't give anything away. Yeah, I just made some for my family. Yeah, and I, I, I just wouldn't. Oh no, no, of course, nor should you. Or any of that? Yeah, but, yeah. But I, I can do it for myself. Yeah, and I've still bought some stuff from him. So yeah, of course. So, but yeah, I, I made uh, some whoopee hooks, like the double whoopee hooks, where yeah. it's got the hole for the string to go through, and then. A hole for the spreader a bars bar, to go yeah. through, and I made some spreader bars, and it's like sleeping on a seesaw. Oh, is it? Yeah. <laughs> if, if somebody's got to get up to go pee, yeah, you will launch through the tarp my, in the middle of the night. My man. girlfriend and I did the exact same thing <laughs> yeah. at Haunt State Park. Uh, the first time we ever went backpacking together, she had never slept in a hammock before, and yeah. I, being an idiot, I literally went out and bought her a hammock, a tarp, and two quilts before she'd ever slept in one before. <laughs> It was just like, you're going to do this. I know it. We're going to do it. And she did, she had never slept. Funny story about Gideon. She, she never slept on her own before. Right. So she had never been like in her own structure. And especially in a hammock, you're just kind of out there. Right. Like if you've never yeah. not been in a tent before, it's a little weird because the first time, like you feel a little exposed. It's really yeah. not any different than a tent, but you do feel a little bit more exposed. And so she decided. Let's sleep under the same tarp. And so we, I, I used my trekking pole and some, uh, uh, 50, 550 cords, paracord, and yeah. basically tied a trekking pole between the two ends of our hammock and forced ourselves into that same position. And it was the same thing. When either one of us went up, got up to pee, you're, I mean, you're going a foot up in the air <laughs> from where you were. I mean, you are going to gain a lot of ground. So, no, I understand that for sure, for sure. And I don't know what it is about sleeping in a hammock. It's the most comfortable sleep I've ever gotten, but you pee so much. You have to. I don't know what it <laughs> I is. I don't get it. I can sleep through the night almost every single night at home. There's never been a night. But I will say this. I've never not peed while camping. It's It's not the hammock for me. It's just camping. Like, if I'm in a tent, I'm peeing. And so one of the big reasons that it's I do so hammock camping. I've in a tent that I don't remember. <laughs> right? So one of the big reasons that I'm into hammock camping is simply because of peeing in the middle of the night is so much easier. 
especially if you have a partner, because if you're climbing over somebody to get out a door yeah. and then you've got to undo a rain fly, which is <laughs> always this like weird outreach kind of on your knees, difficult kind of thing. And then you've got to crawl oh, oh, out over flap thing always exactly bound up in the exactly and, and so you've got to like crawl out over somebody it's always cold i don't know about you i'm a big fan of camping in the cold i don't like going yeah. in the middle of the summer i like going when it's cold so then you're trying to put layers on because it's cold outside so for me in a hammock it was always like oh i can just kick my feet out from underneath my quilt throw my crocs or whatever that i'm using for camp shoes on i can like cruise right out the end of my tarp six feet away yeah take a piss jump right back in sit back down throw my feet back in and bam i'm right back in my quilt and i'm back in the heat and everything's good it might take me 30 seconds to get everything warm back up again and i'm right back in it quilts are still mostly warm you just gotta get your surface temperature yeah for sure for sure up a little bit that that was a, a big factor and then also could, there was always three factors for me when I why I wanted to get into hammock camping. The first thing was setting up in the rain. I have a big thing about setting up in rain. And so for me, the idea that you could set up your tarp and you could be completely underneath it and set up your entire rest of your structure, the rest of your, your hammock, your quilts. Yeah, everything stays dry. Everything well, stays dry. Well, stays drier. Drier, right? But like at least you're under your tarp. Dry outside. In a hammock, I mean in a, in a tent, there's almost no tents other than like a duplex or a, a yeah, Z-Pax tent. Yeah, you gotta get real super specialized to yeah, get you're, into a you're talking fly first tent. Five, six, seven hundred dollars typically. Yeah, for sure. Uh, for those types of tents. And so to me, that was a huge appeal. The second part was the fact that I could potentially cook while laying in my hammock. So like breakfast for me. I've, I've never had the balls to do that, man. It's just, oh, dude. I don't, I, I don't want to, I don't want to find out later that I got food on my hammock when I was cooking or something. Oh, that doesn't bother by, me by, at all. By getting eaten by a bear. Oh, uh, well, there's that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I guess, dude, I'm telling you. Our, our second trip out, we had a bear sniff our tent. No joke. <laughs> it scared the shit out of me. Where? Uh, we were on top of Goggins Mountain. In Missouri? Yeah. Black Bear? Yeah. No joke. Yeah. Middle of the night. I mean, this is my second trip out. I was kind of nervous just because, you know, MDC says, hey, there's there's bears out here. There's there's mountain lions. Yeah. And I'm not scared of bobcats or coyotes, but... But mountain lions and bears, that's uh, <laughs> that's no joke. Those are apex predators. Mountain lions so. are, dude, no <laughs> yeah. joke. I mean, bears, I don't want any part of, but mountain lions make me pee my pants. Yeah. Yeah, bear, bears will run away. <laughs> lions will stalk you. Now, th- it but, just, uh, I mean, I understand that bears are fast, but mountain lions. The Missouri bears are mostly just kind of like skittish dogs. I mean, they well, I mean, dude, I, I remember when I first got into backpacking, somebody, I can't remember who it was, brought up bears. And I went, I found out that, that I think there's an average of like 26 bear attacks a year in the United States. And they're basically yeah. all in the Yukon, right? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, all, all at least out west. It, yeah, <laughs> it's know? like Montana, it's, Alaska, Wyoming, Colorado. It's like basically nothing happens in the Midwest when it comes no. to bears. And so I was like, and, and of the 26 attacks, I think there's like four deaths. So I was like, if I'm one of the four people a year know, in the but, entire but I bet all US, 24 kind of wish they were dead. 
Valid point. Valid point. Getting the shit kicked out of you by a bear. Valid point. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, it was just one of those things where I was like, of all the people that go backpacking and camping, twenty six of them actually yeah. end up in an altercation. Yeah, and those probably right. aren't backpackers and hikers. Those are those are the assholes over in Yosemite throwing cans of baked yeah. beans at bears for. Yeah. Oh look! Or, look at the bear! Hey guys, come over here. Or you oh. have somebody that's in like a super legit backcountry environment oh, yeah. where it's like legitimate zero pressure, zero interaction, and they don't give yeah. a shit about you, and they're just <laughs> yeah. like, "I'm gonna come check out what you are yeah, because yeah. I'm not worried." Uh, that I could see, but yeah, I, I probably should do a little bit more information. One of the things that I really want to do is I want to get some national park and some state park people on the on the podcast oh, that'd be cool i met a guy uh i'm hoping sean will come on so sean if you're listening to this episode get your ass on here i want to talk to you um so my actual everyday job i'm a marketing consultant but one of my primary clients is i work for a nonprofit in the cybersecurity space and it's kind of a weird job but i'm their marketing guy and i was at a conference in iowa one of my favorite conferences shout out to corn con Shout out to John and Shad and and everybody else there, some Chai and and all the folks. Um, but I'm sitting at dinner with some folks. We're talking cybersecurity, and I start bitching about the website for the national parks and how garbage it is and how bad their <laughs> reservations are That's, and how oh, terrible it is. God, right? Oh, the reservations are awful. We're it's to make some last week. so bad. And I'm talking all this shit. And the guy to my right goes, oh, you ought to talk to Sean about it. And I was like, what? What?" And he goes, well, the guy next to you is the chief information security officer for the National Park. Oh, shit. And I was like, <laughs> what? And, oh, well, and so um, I turned, and there's this super nice guy, and Sean and I have since become buddies. Um, yeah, the website's terrible. Uh, <laughs> and, and what Sean said to me, which was super poignant, which he was like, dude, it's, it's not that hard to build a new website. What is difficult is the fact that we have 400 different national parks spread around. A lot of people don't realize we have national parks all over the world. Like, we don't just have national parks in the United States. Really? Yeah. What the hell does like that We work? have national parks in Guam. We have par- national parks in Costa Rica. We have national parks in Puerto Rico. We have it's, national it's, parks all over the place. Oh, it's, it's run by the U.S. Forest Service? I or, think, I can't, I'm not sure. that effect? It's a, yeah, I'm sure. So I, I started asking, crazy. and he was like, so basically if we build a new website, that's fine. And, like, we recognize that reserving a campsite in Rocky Mountain National Park in the, in the backcountry area is not the easiest thing to do. But if we build a new platform, now we have to go and train all the rangers that run that system how to use the new system. And I don't know if you know this, but national park rangers don't tend to be super tech-forward feet people like they chose to be a ranger for a reason and he's like it's not a crack on them it's just they didn't choose to be tech people they chose to be forest rangers they wanted to be out in the woods exactly so i I wish i had done that looking back so one of the things that i always try and tell kids so so one of the parts of our national nonprofit is we go around the country and we tell kids why they want to get a job in cybersecurity. but the first thing i always want to tell kids is like don't do anything <laughs> for like two or three years. Yeah, yeah like go be. do something stupid and fun where you make no money, like where you're broke. Do it yeah. in a big city. Do it in a, a national park. Like go take a huge risk when you're a kid. Be a surf instructor yeah. in Australia. 
be a national park ranger in Yosemite. Like, granted, it's not as easy as just like, oh, I apply, I get to be a ranger in Yosemite. Yeah. There's a lot of people that want that job. But, like, go do something that's not white collar, that's not corporate America, that's not, like, go do something that's super different. Go, like, one of the things I really respect is Max from the Fly Shop, oh, yeah. uh, from Fly Time Classic. Max is a yeah. fly guide, so for any of you out there, that are looking for an awesome fly fishing guide in Craig, Montana, check out our buddy Max Vailer. Uh, I will find his fly fishing lodge, and I will tag it in the blog post for this um, podcast. Yeah, and don't be ageist. He's a pup. But, yeah, but he, yeah, but he no. knows his shit. He's yeah. a super fishy kid. Badass, yeah. he's he's. I want to say he's mid-20s, and he yeah. really knows his shit. He's been out in Montana for a couple of years. He did fly fishing guiding in Colorado for a couple of years. He's been doing it since he was a kid. So dollars of donuts, he outfished my ass any Damn, day. <laughs> hell yeah, he would. Hell yeah, he would. And Max is one of those guys where I was like, man, do I wish I did what you did. Yeah. When I was your age, had I known that this was yeah. a thing when I was your age and could go back and start over, I mean, yeah. he and, and what I always say is, like, I've been in corporate America for 15 years now, and you don't fall behind in, like, three to five years. There's so, it, It's just, yeah. like, it's so easy to catch up or it's so easy to, like, shoot past people that yeah. worrying that you got to, like, start right away, don't. <laughs> like go do go be a ski bum somewhere go be a trout bum yeah. somewhere you know go be a, a, a mountain biking rental dude in a breckenridge colorado for a week you know for a summer do something super fun and one of my biggest regrets in life i posted about the, about this on my birthday last month so i was really lucky that i got to go to this adventure summer camp when i was in uh, the summer between my seventh and eighth grade. In fact, I called my parents and I asked them how much it cost the other day because the, it plays into the story. I was like, it had to be thousands of dollars. And uh, it was a five week camp and they Jesus. literally, yeah, overnight. Well, one, one week summer scout camp is yeah astronomical and cost preventive for most parents these days, man. I, yeah. I'd... So what they did is they send you to this base camp in a place called Florissant, Colorado. And it's out in the middle of the woods, and there's this huge base camp for boys, and there's a huge base camp for girls, and you have... Way across the lake. And it's about two miles down the road, and you sneak out at night, and you go try to... That's not far enough for Yeah, you, you, you run through the woods, and you... Trust me, you, you break all rules, but that's why you go there, right? Yeah. You figure out these things as an adolescent, and you, you try these things, and you challenge yourself. But so you basically live in a military style canvas wood frame cot or tent, right? And you have a cot for the five weeks that you're there. And they tell you to bring all your stuff in like a military style footlocker. And so all your stuff sits in your footlocker at the base of your cot. And you have like, I don't know, 10 guys in each tent. And there's a, nice. a counselor, right? And so they're responsible for you. And there's a big lodge on the base camp. And then they have like a, a stable with a bunch of horses and they have a little nice. store and they have all kinds of different facilities. There's a, you know, a, a, a gathering place and a, a pool and stuff like that. Oh. And then every Sounds week, like it's, it's awesome. Right? And then every week you go out and do these excursions. And as the weeks go on, your excursions get longer. And by the time you're done, 
you're backpacking for five days, you're climbing like four or five 14ers over those times. Wow. Uh, you might go on a four or five night horseback riding trip where they're like shuttling all of your equipment from place to place, but you're riding from each place, hobbling your horses at night. It's <laughs> wild. Uh, shout out to Sanborn Western Camps. <laughs> to any of you listening, if you are looking for something in the future when things go back to normal, you're interested for something to do with your kids and you have some cash, send them to Sanborn Western Camps. And this is the reason I say this. Not only was it one of the most fun summers that I've ever had in my entire life, I made some incredibly fun friends and, and had some really fun experiences. To this day, I went there one time. They send me a birthday card every year. (laughs) I get one every single year. I post about it. I think it's so smart. That's kind of cool. It's so, I mean, I get a birthday card from three people each year. That's cheap marketing right there, man. It's, (laughs) it's, it's 45 cents a year, probably (laughs) for 20 years. Call it's probably cost them $10, but it's the only thing from my childhood that still contacts me today. Yeah. Think about that. The old yeah, that's soccer impressive. teams, schools, all of it. That camp that I went to one time still reaches out. And I brag about them left and right. If you ever they, they know you had a good time or just keeping that little bug in your ear, like, hey, when your kid's old enough. hundred percent. And it's, it's gotta be a twenty year play. Like you're gambling yeah. on keeping that camp fresh top of mind for twenty years until that person has their own kid. And they're old enough, right? Because like that kid's 10 years old when they're coming to camp. You're yeah. gambling on that 20 years of the point where like they're 10 years older, they're starting to have their kids. And then that kid's got to be 10 years old before they come yeah. to camp. Yeah. So it's like a 20 year gamble yeah. that that birthday card is going to pay off. But if like one kid out of 200 does it, it probably yeah. pays for itself. So yeah. Uh, it was an awesome summer. I'm a huge, huge fan of theirs. I get a birthday card from my girlfriend, my parents, my Aunt Kathy, and Sanborn Western Camps. So <laughs> nice. big shout out to those guys. <laughs> so the last thing I wanted to touch a little bit about on, we've talked a little bit about fly fishing and backpacking. I want to talk a little bit more about kayaking. So you have a couple of kayaks. Where did you get your kayaks? How did you acquire kayaks? Why did you get into kayaking? Oh, uh, well, I, I fish a lot of the streams local because I don't have a whole lot of time to just go out and take a weekend and go fishing yeah. at a, at a neat spot. So I get addicted to stuff. I mean, I just, <laughs> I find a hobby and I latch on to it. Yeah. And, uh, my buddy Mick said, I get, I don't find hobbies. I get PhDs in things. <laughs> That's a really good way of thinking about it. I like that idea. <laughs> That's kind of the approach I take with with a lot of things. So I did that and I'm going, okay, well, I don't have a whole lot of time. I got to find these local creeks to fish and this and that. I'm going around. I'm like, man, I, I can't quite get over there. Ah, you know, I got, I, I know there's fish over there. There's no fish here, but I can't quite get there. I thought, well, I need a boat. (laughs) Well, I I don't have the space for a real boat. I don't have, I don't have the time. I don't have the money to dick around and <laughs> keep boat a boat stands going. for bring out another thousand. Yes, it does. Even even a cheap bass boat still. Oh yeah, you can spend a lot of money, money real quick. Some old junkie outboard you got to limp along to keep going, or you spend fifty grand on a on a boat rig, or you can spend a lot of money real quick on a boat, or you can drop a couple hundred bucks of government money on a <laughs> on a piece of plastic that'll get you down the river too, and 
that was pretty cool. We, we got our stimulus checks and we're like, oh, well, well I'm going to stimulate the kayak economy. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So um, I, I was a little more interested in an actual fishing platform. You know, I mean, something that would be maneuverable enough and fun enough to, to take around and, and just paddle if I wanted to yeah. just paddle. But, but something to do. And a buddy of mine had uh, one of the Ascend sit on top fishing kayaks from Bass Pro. It's 500 bucks. It's got the like, little lawn chair type seat thing. Yeah. It's nice. It's stable. It's, it's heavy as shit. <laughs> it's a bummer to carry and load on top of the truck, but sometimes but, stable but, can be uh, really good for a first, you know, first crack. But, uh, well, they're, it's great to fish from, I would imagine. It's, 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 it's wiggly, which seems terrifying. It's, it's also supposed to be able to be stood up and fished from. Gotcha. Every time I've tried to stand up in it, it'd be about halfway up when I felt like I was going to die. So, no so just like, nope, I'm, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Okay. I'm going to have to take this thing out with like just, just practicing to stand yeah. up in this thing. Cause yeah. I can't go out with oh, several hundred dollars worth of fishing gear and think, no joke. Oh man, all this shit might wind up on the, on the bottom of the lake if I decide to get brave and stand up in this thing. But, uh, but for fishing, it's, it's great. I've, I've caught a lot of, Timber bass that I got uh, snagged on. <laughs> How long is your and kayak? It's it's ten foot. Okay. If I had to do it over again, I'd probably for storage considerations and, and yeah, for and, sure and movement. I went with the ten. Oh, and but, I think uh, it's I think it's an important point to make in that I think a lot of a lot of people, and this is one of the things that I really respect about certain outdoors people that they get hung up in like if it's not perfect, I shouldn't get it right and. <laughs> Get out there. Exactly. Right. Right. And it's, it's whether your gear is really, whether you have the budget to buy really expensive stuff or whether you're getting more kind of, you know, entry level stuff, basic stuff. There are so many people that I know that have basic entry level gear that go every single weekend. Yeah. Anytime getting out there. Yeah. You've got gear guys and you got go guys. Exactly. Right. And, and there's so many people that let the gear get in their way and say like, Oh, I can't go. You know, I've got a friend that, has been talking about traveling for five years, maybe 10, uh, has n- basically not left the state. And I keep saying, as soon saying, as I get a suitcase, I'll, I'll go you know, somewhere. And, and, and I keep saying like, you know, it's, it does, you're making it more expensive than it needs to be. And yep. you're putting a lot of barriers in the way that don't yeah. need to be there. Um, now granted, you know, we've stayed, <laughs> one of the stories that I tell people is like, we stayed in Sarah's, one of the things that I love about my girlfriend and one of the reasons she'll be my wife at some point in the near future, fiance, is that she's, you're not dropping that information right here, right now. She, she knows that she's, <laughs> trust me, she's told me she should have been a long, long time ago. Um, we have a deal right now that I'm not allowed to buy anything over a hundred dollars until she has a ring. So I get it. Um, <laughs> And it's, it's long overdue. Like I knew she was the girl a long time ago, so it's my fault. But, um, one of the things that, you know, I love about, uh, Sarah and one of the reasons that she will be my wife, quite frankly, she's unbelievably frugal. Like my girlfriend is on, on the level of cheap. That's like, she will tell, like, she will brag to you that she got asparagus for 99 cents a pound when it's normally a dollar 99 a pound. And I'm like, I don't even know what asparagus should cost. I've, well, I've 
I've bought asparagus at six ninety nine a pound, so I want to know where she's getting it's, it for a buck a right, pound. Right, right. So like she knows <laughs> she knows that stuff in her head, and like I it's just like, well, if I want asparagus, I'm buying asparagus. But so one of the I've things done that and I got sticker shock. That yeah, yeah. One of the things that I really like uh, is when we've traveled. You know, when we went to Colorado uh, the first time, we were there because I had a conference there, and she flew in because she had some points. And we went backpacking in Estes Park, and then we went to Boulder. We rented, like, a pretty expensive Airbnb. We went down to Colorado Springs, and we stayed with her brother, and we had a ton of fun everywhere we went. But, like, super cool. we spent a lot of money, right? <laughs> yeah, and, right. like, we, we could both afford it. We were cool with it. It was great. The second time we went to Colorado, we borrowed a friend's Jeep because we didn't feel like my car would make it. Um, we brought a cooler with cold cuts, and we made sandwiches on the side of the road, and we stayed in $50 motor lodges, and we camped at campsites. And I think the entire road trip for, like, seven days, and we went to Vail, Breckenridge, Golden, Boulder, Denver. Like, we went everywhere. Uh, I think it was about 600 bucks for two people, gas, lodging, food, everything. That ain't bad at all. Not bad. Three hundred bucks a person to go <laughs> yeah. on a week long vacation to Colorado, yeah, that's right? Cool. And granted, we didn't have we we were lucky we didn't have to pay for a rental car. And there's a long story that I'll include on a different podcast about that. But basically, we got a flat tire, and it cost yeah. us a shit ton of money after yeah, that. But I've heard that story. Unforeseen yeah. circumstances that wasn't his fault yeah. or anybody's fault. But what I always tell people is like, you're the one that's making it really expensive. Because you're assuming that you need a level of luxury that you probably don't. And like my girlfriend was super nice because she actually reserved all of the $50, $60 a night motor lodges that weren't in the best part of town. We stayed at a motor lodge in Goodland, Kansas. And when we checked in, they gave us a key. We went to our room. The faucet, both faucet you know, handles were completely turned off. The faucet was running like it was completely on. And so we were like, well, that room is not going to work. We went back out. They gave us another room. We went in. We're sitting in that room, and somebody screams. Like, oh woman, blood-curdling scream. And I was like, what is that? I run out in the hallway. There's a guy, like, backing out of a room, hands in the air, like, oh. And I'm like, what's going on here? And this woman is like, this guy just walked into my room. And there, the guy was like, they gave me a key at the front desk. So, like, they rented out the same room yeah, twice. twice. Oh, God. And their computer system didn't, like, go, hey, already somebody in that room. So, like, and, and like, the side entrance to the, the hotel, motel, the no. window in the, gla- in the door was all smashed out. Oh, cool. So it was like the interior hallway nice. was basically open to the outside. Uh, yeah, so just... we've stayed in some super sketchy... Like dirt motor lodges in order to travel. And my point being is like, don't be too obsessed. If you really want to travel, oh my, you can do it cheap. And I mean, you can do it. Just go do it. And the stories will be better. Just treat your clothes with permethrin. That way you don't bring bed, bed bugs home. Exactly. Right. <laughs> and like, so one of the things that we do a lot of times when we're sleeping in those types of places is we will bring our own sleeping bags in. Yeah. And we just sleep in our sleeping bags on top of the bed. We're not getting in those beds. We're just sleeping in our own sleeping bags on top of the beds, and we're getting the hell out of there. Like, it's a bed. It's a shower. It's just a place to crash. Get out. (laughs) Get out of there. Uh, And, you know, we've had some really fun nights in some of those places. We've gone to some really great Mexican restaurants and had a little too much tequila and gone back to the room and just crashed and, you know, 
had a great time. So if you're into traveling, don't let the expense of it get in the way. If you want to get into backpacking or fly fishing or kayaking, don't let the expense of it get in the way, right? So one of the things that you have been able to find is you found a brand of rods and reels that you really, really like, right? Yeah, Yeah, they're fantastic. I have a brand ambassador for them and and Max Catch. Uh, But yeah, uh, Max Catch rods are, I don't know, they're, find them on Amazon. They're cheap. They're really nice. I've, I've never really cast or fished or held for that matter, a high end rod. So I don't know what I'm missing, but man, they're, they're really nice. I've, I've got an eight weight and a three weight and my stepson's got a five weight. I've heard some people on, uh, on Facebook and a couple of fly fishing forums say they, they cast as good as a three or $400 rod. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, I got them all for, Oh, the, my eight weight came with a machined reel with a disc drag and, and a rod, rod sock and a, and a case for 120 bucks. Yeah. No joke. Uh, and, and it's solid. I mean, it feels nice. It casts great. I can, I can rip a silk kitty like 80 feet. And that's, yeah. a, that's a big floppy. Yeah. So, so feathery bass fly and. So speaking of, like, you've been into fly tying for as long as I've known you. That's kind of actually how you and I reconnected because, so we met. Happened into the same store. Right, we just happened. I mean, there's only two fly fishing stores in St. Louis. There's T. Hargrove and then the other one. Um, (laughs) And, you know, at at T. Hargrove, they have this great fly tying class. And it's one of the things that, quite frankly, I have missed the most. Yeah. It's probably the thing that I miss most through COVID. I mean, and I was going religiously i mean i was going there like yeah. every week it's the one thing i didn't miss yeah that, that was that was my tuesday thing man. and it was so. it was a great i i more than anything else like yes i learned how to tie flies and i learned some of the basic techniques and i mean they're not showing you anything in there that's like revolutionary no, no right no, it's no, all no, pretty no. basic yeah it's all pretty basic nymphs and, and basic stuff but it's a bunch of really cool people that build skill and it's yeah, it's a cool hang. Yeah, it's a great hang of other people. They're going to tell you where they've been fishing, what they're fishing, where they've been, all the fun stories of, of what they're doing at the at the moment, what they've been tying. And, you know, like Ken, you know, old guy Ken, who sits over there in the corner with his, his Hawaii hat. Like, I would have never met that guy without <laughs> fly tying class, and that guy's yeah. super fun. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of really cool people in the, in the, the class that come, so... You know, I do really miss that, but you're really into kind of the bigger streamer tying stuff. What is it that attracted you to, you know, stream? And for for those of you that aren't into fly fishing, there's, I would say, probably break it into four categories of flies, right? So you have dry flies, which is the stuff that, like, floats on top. It looks like little... Well, flies. Right. They look they <laughs> little, look little like flying bugs. Probably the closest thing to an actual fly. Yeah. Right. Like a house fly, mayfly. Exactly. Then you've got the stuff that goes down below the water, which you would call nymph fishing, right? Just the early stage of the the flying bug. Of the bug, right? So before it it sprouts its wings and all the things, and they grow underwater. So you're essentially trying to grow uh, or mimic an underwater bug. Uh, You've got midges, which are like the tiniest little minute form of a bug. I can't even use because my fingers are dead from... In the world, right? (laughs) They're these infinitesimally so like... A size 18 or 20 hook is... Those, those aren't so bad. These guys that are tying like 
30s and 32s. Oh. I'm going, oh, God, you guys are sick. But, man. I mean, even like the 18s or 20s, you could fit maybe like 10 of them on a, the the head of a dime. Oh, oh yeah. Right? So, I yeah. mean, little bitty, tiny little things. And yeah. then kind of the, the, I would say probably the most popular category over the last maybe five to 10 years would become big, big streamers. Oh, yeah, the, the right. Big so it's either Euronymphing or, or big streamers. Yeah. So with the big streamers, you're essentially mimicking either a, a, a bait fish of some kind. Bait so fish, big leeches, <clears throat> minnows, little things like that. Minnows, drown uh, rats. Uh, yeah, exactly. Frogs. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, all, all kinds of mouse patterns. Yeah. There's all kinds of stuff. So what was it that attracted you to, to the streamer style stuff. Is it, is it the more complex tying part of it or is it you like fishing that stuff more? It's, it's a little both. I mean, it, it looks cool. You know, I mean, I, I still tie a bunch of little bitty stuff too, but, but I kind of think, uh, you know, like your soft tackles and just there's your basic fly fishing stuff. When people think traditional fly fishing outside of the salmon fly stuff, but the little guys are, are neat. They're fun. They work great for catching pan fish. I don't really live by any trout water. You True. Know? You know, and when I can catch bluegill on little foam stuff, I could probably catch bass on little stuff, but bass are everywhere, and fly fishing for bass is a lot of fun. Yeah. And, and the big stuff just works well for bass. Yeah. I mean, apparently it's kind of started out for big brown trout out west, and, and that's cool. Don't have any. <laughs> that's, a, it's, it's, that's a two and a half hour trip. It's and a, one of the downsides and a, and a of Missouri. a weekend for me to go yeah. trout fishing. Yeah. It's minimum. It's one of the downsides for Missouri in that Missouri is really an unbelievable state for outdoor activities. I mean, like, oh, we have some incredible. really beautiful trails. We have some incredible landscapes. One of the things that I was on a, a backpacking trip with some buddies and one of the things that they mentioned was, um, or, or we were in a campsite, and there was a bunch of, like, ecologists that were staying at the campsite next to us. And they were mentioning yeah. that they were going to be in, like, four distinct ecological zones or landscapes on the same backpacking trip, yeah. right? So they were going to be in a glade, they were going to be in a, a timber mountain, and they were going to be in all these different areas. And I think that's that's pretty unique in, in Missouri. There's not a lot of places yeah, where you can see that many ecological zones. Yeah, um, yeah but... When you live in St. Louis, you're like two to two and a half hours away from basically all of it. Like that's kind of the edge, right, of where the cool stuff is. And so if you're not willing to take, I mean, it's not like we don't have a lot of, one of the things that attracts Sarah and I to the Pacific Northwest a lot is that I saw some article that was like seven national forests within a one hour drive of Portland, Oregon. (laughs) And I was like, (laughs) dude, that'd be cool. Huh? And then I looked up a map, and sure as shit, I mean, it's just like a horseshoe surrounding it. Wow. Of just national force, national force, national force, national force. And so... Uh, I, I might be a little Portland. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's Portland's a wild place. Um, and, and that's one of the things that Sarah and I are having to balance, is like we're both fairly conservative Midwest people. I'd say oh. that we probably, you know, without getting too political, like we probably lean more left... Um. Uh, morally, but we're probably more yeah. right, you know, fiscally and and economically, yeah. um, and and that probably vibes better in the Midwest than it yeah. does. There's we're probably a little bit more conservative than a lot of the Pacific Northwest, so yeah. we're gonna have to find. You know, the the interesting thing about Oregon, and I've never been there, so I'm speaking completely out of assumption, <laughs> but from what I've heard, 
Oregon is kind of split into two camps. You kind of have like this bleeding heart, liberal, unbelievable socialist, like everybody's got to be everything kind of group. And then you have like a get off my lawn, yeah, fuck like, you like kind the, of guy. Like the, like the redneck lumberjack. Yeah, the, right. And there's some lives like, on the edge of the suburbs there's just some, because the schools are better. There's some legitimate <laughs> like Northwest kind of mountain people, right? Yeah. And so you've got kind of a West Virginia kind of, you know, legit vibe there. And so we're going to have to find some balance, right? Because we find both camps entertaining in, in certain yeah. components. And so we're going to have to find some parts of the city. Like we're not going to go live in Portland, but I also don't think we want to live in like Bend, which is, you know, pretty hardcore. So yeah. we, we've got to find somewhere in the middle of those two that, that fit both of us. Um, Sarah wants to live in a small, I mean, if Sarah could live in a town of 5,000 people, on a coastal yes. city with nobody there, she'd be as unbelievably pleased as possible. If you give her 10 dogs, she's fine. Yeah. Uh, I am a people person, hence why I have a podcast and all these other things. Uh, so I got to be closer to, to humans. Yeah. Um, she mentioned at one point, and I'm going to hold her to this because I think I shook her hand on it. <laughs> she was like, if you want to figure out a way to make enough money where we can have a cabin in the woods where I live, and then you have an apartment in the city where you go spend five days a week and come see me on the weekends. I'm down for that. And I was like, <laughs> okay, uh, that sounds fun to me. Yeah, yeah, and you know, so <laughs> marry um, that girl for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 I'm I'm very very lucky in the girl that I found. We 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 fit each other really really well. Um, I think if you looked at us on paper. You'd probably say like those two people are really, really different. Yeah, like but, Dharma and Greg situation. On paper, yeah, but. we, we complement each other really well. And I will say one of the things that I'm really lucky with with Sarah is that she knows herself very well. And she says, I'm going to be at home. I'm going to do my thing with the dogs. If you want to go do that stuff, if you want to go be with your friends, if you want to go out, you want to go to parties. You know, I, I used to be on kind of the, the social scene of the St. Louis business world. She was like, if you want to go do that stuff, go do it. Have fun. I'll be at home with the dogs. See you when you get home. <laughs> and so she was she was really great in giving me the freedom to go do the things that I wanted to do uh, without being, like, bored on my arm, you know, because she doesn't enjoy that kind of stuff. So no. to her credit, she was like, it's not for me, but I'm not going to stop you from doing the things that you find super fun. So, Ed, I'll tell you what, I know that you have got a schedule where you've got kids, you want to get home, you've got all kinds of things to do. Uh, you've got organizations that you wanted to kind of draw some attention to. So let's talk oh, real yeah. briefly before we conclude about the organizations that you think are, are making a difference in Missouri. Well, um, we were talking about uh, actually even looking for kind of contacts to get people on with the Forest Service or National Park System. Uh I'm a member of the Ozark Trail Association, kind of maintain and and build trail all through the southeast Missouri. We've got presently 400 and some odd total miles of trail, but it's not all continuous. Holy cow. Uh, and I, I don't have all the details sure. on that. I'm just kind of a, I'm just a volunteer. I'm not part of the committee or a big guy up in the thing, but uh, I'll get you in touch in contact with uh, yeah. a couple of the people. Now, there. how did you get involved but, with the organization? Well, we uh, well, we started backpacking in 2014, went on a handful of trips, really liked it. I mean, just well, fell in love with it. We just figured, well, we're, we want to figure out a way to kind of give back. And we started looking 
Ozark Trail website because they've they've got amazing trip calculators and and maps and yeah this and that. You say, hey, I want to go this far in this many days. What do you got for me? And it'll come up with a whole trip plan. Trip basically, plan, yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. Well, it turns out twice a year they do mega events where they build trail, and we just signed up to go do a trail build, and it was a whole lot of fun. You can either show up the night before and camp and hang out with people or the, the first one we went to i had to wind up working late the friday so driving out in the early early in the morning yeah because yeah. it was out towards rolla trail and, people are early and, getter yeah. uh, early yeah. risers yeah well we, we 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 have the uh like the kind of cattle call about eight o'clock in the morning to get everybody together to sure. go out and get on the trail and start building but uh but yeah we couple hundred people together and just spread out. And they, sometimes we get a bulldozer to kind of cut new trail. Sometimes we're rerouting stuff. Sometimes we're just retreading right. areas of trail. But yeah, we get a whole bunch of people out there just building trail hand tools and yeah. And joking and carrying on. And I mean, and it's, it's work, oh, but yeah. it's, but it's fun. And then we have a big bonfire and, and, Music well, and, it's, and, and it, it connects and, you. I mean, one of the things that yeah, I really... Yeah, going to put you in contact with a bunch of trail people. Yeah, I mean, one of the mm. things that I really appreciate about fishing is that, I mean, I've been this, like, pretty hardcore capitalist economy guy, you know, the majority of my life. And I've always just kind of been like, oh, you know, the, the business world will take care of it. And, you know, efficiencies and f- screw the environment and blah, blah, blah. And then you get into backpacking, you get into fishing, you get into some of these activities, and you start to realize how delicate some of these ecospheres are, and you how get out there important and you see how it is. Nice it is to breathe out in the it's, out in the woods. Oh my god! And, and you, you come home with your email. What is that, what is that smell? Yeah. Oh, that's that's the city. That's Shit. the world. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and so it has given me this enormously greater appreciation for the waterways and for the trails and for you know what it's. Whenever you go backpacking, if you go backpacking for a weekend, I promise you, when you go home, you'll start picking up trash. Uh, It it sounds like, I don't mean to say that as like a sailing point, like, hey, if you go backpacking, you're going to be a trash man. But if, if you go and you connect with these incredible landscapes and you go out and you see a trail or you walk through a stream or you walk through a river... The idea that anybody would pollute them with trash or with garbage or with any of these, you know, things. When you go out and see how cool things can be. It's unbelievable, right? It's and so incredible. And when for, you see a Snickers bar floating down a street, like, oh, come on, guys. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And so it gives you this greater sense of appreciation for what's out there and what you're connected to and what you're a part of. And, you know, I have signed, I don't know, probably 20 petitions since I got involved in fishing to try and preserve waterways all over the United States because I want to travel to some of these incredible fisheries and hatcheries all over the U S and see some of these places. And I don't want to let, you know, for example, the pebble mine destroy this unbelievable fishing hatchery that's out there. And by being connected to the hobby, you start to get connected to the ecosphere and you start to play a bigger role in the future of our, you know, our, our outdoor landscape. So uh, I appreciate you drawing attention to organizations, you know, like that, that are doing really, really good work that are organizing communities of people and that are maintaining trails and cleaning up trash and doing those kinds of things. Cause without, you know, groups of individuals like that, we're, we're going to end up with, you know, just a bunch of crap. 
yeah. out on the trail. So I really, really appreciate that. That's yeah. awesome. Are there other, are there and any to, other to, organizations that you, you think are, are really important? Um, yeah. I mean, well, we're technically part of BSA right now, which we're leaders in a, <laughs> in a small troop or well pack actually with the whole COVID thing and tough and the scandals surrounding BSA. It's for tough us, for us. My, we're, my, we're not having a lot of, not having a lot of, volunteers or even it's even a really participants. it's a really difficult time because like as a you know and and this is a a branding issue right i'm in this world yeah i'm a guy that spent the last five years dedicating my entire life to the pursuit of the outdoors right yeah. i've been learning about backpacking and camping and rving and fly fishing and all these other activities i'd love to be able to pass that on but I think yeah. if you asked most people, like, hey, I'm a single guy with no kids. I want to go be a Boy Scout troop leader. Yeah, yeah. Most people would be like, weirdo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Especially these days. You know, and, and my my future father-in-law, uh, Sarah's dad, was a Boy Scout troop leader for 25 years, 20 years, yeah. and got an unbelievable amount of fulfillment out of it. And his son yeah. ended up being an Army Ranger and, and a Ranger instructor and is now gone on to be, he's, he's a major in the United States Army. Uh, you know, I don't know whether the two things are related, but, but a lot of scouts do go in the military. Yeah. Right. And, and Philip was an Eagle scout and did all that kind of leadership stuff. And it's, you know, Sarah and I have decided that we haven't fully figured out whether we're going to have kids or not. And if we don't have kids, you know, the idea that, Hey, I can go impart all this really cool knowledge that I've acquired onto this great group of kids that really need it and would benefit from it. But <laughs> what is the angle <laughs> yeah. that I can come into yeah, yeah. it without being a weirdo? And it's it's a real strange challenge that that BSA is facing right now. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, I hate to say it, but they almost got to take what they can get right now. It's weird. But, but I mean, there's, it's there's a weird a pretty, time. Pretty extensive background checks. Oh yeah. Involved in being a scout leader. Yeah. I mean, anymore to go on to be a non-leader, like parent volunteer or something, just just a parent it's who wants deep. to go in with a with the scouts for a weekend or just camp overnight with them. They still have to go under at, at least a legal background. Check. Yeah. At, at least like what a run you at the, at the gun store to, yeah. <laughs> to go buy a new fire. Yeah. You know, so the leadership gets run a little deeper. Volunteers still get a pretty extensive, extensive check. So, I mean, we're trying. Yeah, no, no, no. <laughs> I mean, and it's it's not oh, yeah. an easy it's not an easy thing to solve, right? I mean, no. and and I I am not putting any blame on on BSA or 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 really. Yeah, I mean, I'm just, I think it's a great organization. The world's a crazy place. You can't you, a, can't you can't plan for everything. It's a very prevent, tough challenge. Can't prevent everything, but for sure, yeah, it's one of those things that you'd try. like to be able to say, look, like we have to be better than, you know, oh well, there's a few bad apples, but. At the same time, I recognize that it's a very tough challenge. If, if, if there's nothing on a check, though, yeah, I mean, what, what can you do? Yeah, no, <laughs> I understand. It's a very Somebody tough checks challenge. Checks out clean. They're vouched for by this guy, that guy, and the other yeah. guy. Okay, well, cool. Bring them in. Yeah. So yeah. we'll, we'll kind of conclude on this with COVID being where it's at. Do you guys have any trips planned? Do you guys have anything kind of out in the future that you guys are hoping to achieve, or is it just yeah. kind of more month by month at this point? Well, it's it's definitely month by month, but we, I mean, we try to try to get out as much as we can. We haven't been out as much as we have been in the past years. Cause you know, all of our favorite places are closed For sure. and all the places that just kind of do, you know, that, that you can tolerate are all so overrun. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's, 
It's it's a weird thing in backpacking and camping and kind of fishing right now in that everything is shut down, but at the same time, everybody wants to get out, and being outside is one of the only places that you can actually be without necessarily wearing a mask all the time and without constantly yeah. having to worry about distancing. So the parks are actually seeing an influx of traffic, oh the outdoor God. activities, so I mean, much. bicycle <laughs> shops and fishing stores and all kinds of places are seeing business that they haven't seen in the past because people can't yeah. go to bars and sports and things that they normally yeah. would go to. So, so you just got to do something to get out of the house. A- exactly. And unfortunately, 10,000 people at a time are coming to my space where, where, where there'd be 20 or 30 maybe. We went to Merrimack yeah. Spring on like a Thursday. I'm happy for them to find it, and I'm happy that people are getting outside. That's awesome. Yes. But yeah. for selfish reasons, I'm just like, come on, go home, man. Yeah, no, we, we went to Merrimack Spring for the first time on like a Thursday. Couldn't find a place to fish. Wow. I mean... A spin, uh, and granted, spin fisher have every bit as right as fly fishermen, yeah. but I mean, fishing, it, I mean, it takes a lot less room. Yeah, I mean, they, they can definitely fish. snug up. Yeah, they can <laughs> snug up a lot tighter than a fly fisherman can. Yeah. I mean, every 25, 30 feet for oh, as far as we could walk, I mean, we couldn't, couldn't out walk the people and just had to pretty much turn around and go back. So, you know. Nothing against the park. Yeah. They're they're doing their job. It's an yeah, awesome it's place. Just, and they're they're making their money but too, which is cool. Everywhere. So many people. Yeah. So well, we were gonna go a couple months ago, we were gonna go so it was early July or early June. So basically when it, when everything shut down, mm-hmm. you're like, Oh, well, we're we're gonna go out ninety four, we're gonna go hike around something, we'd find something we haven't covered done yet. yet. Yeah. We've never really hiked any of the trails at Klondike, so we're gonna go out of Klondike hike a little bit, fish in the lake. We couldn't find anywhere to park. Oh. I mean, like, like literally, all the roads through the park were lined on both sides with cars. It's one way. There were cars shouldered up on 94. And I'm just like, oh, my God, I'm I'm driving through the park just yeah. trying to turn around and get the hell out of there because yeah. I'm about to go into a panic attack to yeah, too many it's, people. It's, it's like, oh, man, this is... it's. I don't go to Castle this anymore. This is hard to do. Uh, oh especially God. on a nice day. There's just too many people. It's, I mean, it's a beautiful park, and I think the people that park. run it do an awesome job, but it's just, it's gorgeous so park, run. well-maintained, yeah. but so yeah. many people. Yeah, it's just it just goes to kind of show, like, if you, especially during this period of time, if you really want to find solitude, you're going to have to get off the beaten path and go find some stuff that people don't yeah. know about. Yeah. So, Ed, I appreciate it, man. I want to let you get back to your family. This was a lot yeah. of fun. I hope you yeah. come on again. Had a fantastic I learned time. a ton Anytime. of stuff. Cool. Glad to have you, man. Thanks. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Outdoors Podcast. We really appreciate your time, and hopefully this was entertaining and educational for you. We are going to be really be ramping up uh, the amount of episodes, interviews, and then we're also going to be introducing a weekly solo sode where I'm going to be going into one topic, issue, or event that I think is relevant and interesting around the outdoor world and delve into it. Just not uh, super, super deep, but give you kind of an overview so you can feel a little bit more knowledgeable on the topic or something that is uh, coming up. I think that really deserves to be amplified. Uh, we're also going to be introducing you to some additional channels, some other groups that I think are really worth noting. And speaking of which, I'm really, really excited. This coming uh, Wednesday, I'm going to be doing an episode of Aptitude Outdoors podcast, and we're actually going to do a simulcast. So what we're going to do is we're both going to record an episode of the same conversation together. Uh, He publishes both to YouTube and to the audio streams that I do. 
Uh, I'm going to publish the exact same episode on my channel, on my Outdoors podcast audio channel through all the different networks. And we're going to basically share the same conversation between the two of us on both of our channels and try and kind of promote each other. So uh, I think this dude's really awesome. His channel's fantastic. He's got a little bit more momentum than I do. And I think it's really due to the fact that he's really consistent. He's really doing a lot of content and all the conversations I've had the opportunity to listen to so far have been really great. So uh, I'm really a big fan of his. If you haven't had the chance, go out and check out Aptitude Outdoors. It's a really great channel. He's on all the different platforms. He's got a great website with a lot of different content. He's actually got a walking podcast, which I think is a really cool idea as an addition to more of the traditional studio style conversations. So a uh, big shout out to Aptitude Outdoors and then all of the other channels that will be kind of highlighting in the weekly solo sodes. So definitely check those out. And uh, thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. And here's some independent music for you to uh, finish out the day.